Galway Film Podcast. Dee Vagus Folcha. My name is Will Fitzgerald, and this is the Galway Film Podcast, the official podcast of the Galway Film Fla. Now, presumably, if you're listening to this, our first episode, you're familiar with the Galway Film Fla. But for those who aren't, the Film Fla is a six-day international film festival held every July in the west of Ireland in the coastal city of Galway. One of the best parts of my job as program director of the Film Fla is meeting all the filmmakers who travel from all around the world to Galway every July, hearing their filmmaking journeys that led them to the festival, hearing what inspires them to make their art, and how they go about telling their stories. This podcast is a way to try and share those experiences with you, even if you weren't fortunate enough to be here in Galway in July. Over the course of this first season of the Galway Film Podcast, we'll be bringing you conversations we recorded just for you here at the Film Flaw with directors, actors, screenwriters and producers that I hope you will find as interesting as I did. As well as one-on-one conversations like today's interview with Bart Layton, we'll have live recordings of panels that happened here at the Film Flaw and maybe one or two episodes from our archive too with one of the many legends of cinema that have joined us here in Galway through the years. So, with that brief introduction out of the way, let's get to today's episode where I talk with Bart Layton, director of the 2012 documentary The Imposter, which won the BAFTA Award for Outstanding Debut by a British writer, director or producer, as well as numerous Festival Best Documentary Awards. Bart's latest film, American Animals, is in cinemas now, and again, I'm sure that if you're listening, you've heard all about it. It's a true-life high story that stars Barry Cohen, Evan Peters, Blake Jenner, and one of my favourites, Anne Dowd. And listen, I love this film. Brad, thanks a million for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, and uh, you're uh, here at Galway with uh, American Animals. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this film. Um, when I saw it a couple of months back, uh, it was it's um, it's very playful when it comes to form, uh, film form, um, and it's perfect uh, first drama to come from a, a documentarian. Um, I thought. Um, maybe tell us a bit about the genesis of the project. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, it was uh, a story that I read about um, in a magazine on a flight between um, New York and London. And, you know, it was a, a really extraordinary and quite sort of bizarre news story about a a very uh, audacious art theft that happened in, um, in 2004. And... There were so many things that about the story which immediately struck me as odd, not least the fact that, you know, it was a robbery committed by a group of students um, and all of whom were from pretty good families, you know, um, upper middle class backgrounds and plenty of privilege and opportunity and the idea that they would squander all of that on, on this... Um, pretty misguided idea uh to to steal millions of dollars worth of rare books from their own university it just all seemed so so odd. i mean you know so initially i thought oh, it's a you know it's a fun story and you know and everyone loves a caper right mm-hmm. but it was intriguing to try and understand you know a little bit of of the why of it and so um, this is a bit of a plot spoiler, but by this time, by the time I was reading about it, they these guys were some way into quite a long prison sentence, and so I just um, decided to try and reach out to them, you know, r- write to them while they were in prison, and 
and along with my co-producer Poppy Dixon who worked with me on The Imposter we we made contact with them and we sort of we kind of introduced ourselves and said read about the story can you just help us understand more of of why what the hell you were thinking yeah what were you thinking (laughs) exactly you know and because uh, the more I read about it, the more it seemed impossible they they ever could have thought they were going to get away with it. And so, um, and it was really what they put in these letters that f- took it from a great story to a really extraordinary story, and and one that felt important to try and to try and tell. You know, because a lot of the things they talked about in terms of the motivation wasn't just about the money; it was about you know wanting to do something remarkable, wanting to do something life-changing, wanting to have an experience of life that was going to change everything and mm-hmm. wanting to be special. And all of those things felt like very current preoccupations, you know, not just for young people, but especially for, for that generation, I think. Yeah. And so was it like when you were originally thinking about this, I mean, because you're mostly known for uh, The Imposter, your first feature, uh, mm-hmm. which is a terrific documentary. Like, were you originally thinking documentary? When did this become a uh, I didn't feature? No, I, you know, at the point at which we were kind of trading letters and stuff, I wasn't even, I wasn't totally sure what it was going to be. I didn't think that it was um, worthy of a documentary, really. I didn't know what it was. And then the more I heard about, the more they told me about the kind of their reasons why, um, the more I thought, well, maybe there's a way of, you know, finding a new way of telling a true story, which is not a documentary and not a straight fictionalizing of, um, of a crime caper, you know, that actually it can be more than that. And Mm -hmm. that you have a different level of emotional investment in, not just the story, but the characters as well, because the real people are going to be in the film in a way that you haven't quite seen before. And it gives context and it gives a kind of emotional engagement, which I think, you know, so so for me, it, it's also a story about um, these young guys trying to live a movie fantasy, you know, instead of their fairly mundane reality, they choose to try and inhabit a movie and they fall in love with this fantasy of planning the perfect robbery. And for whatever reason, as you see in the movie, that fantasy ends up going way too far mm-hmm. and they end up crossing a line that should never be crossed really. Yeah. So that was all really, it was, it was kind of thinking, you know, is there a way to sort of reflect their descent into this sort of movie fantasy in the actual form of the filmmaking, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and I love how how playful it is with the form. Um, it's it's. Uh, I don't want to say too much and spoil it for anyone listening who hasn't watched. But um, uh, you're. I mean, apart from the these two films that you've directed, you're quite a prolific producer um, mm. as well. Um, maybe talk a bit about actually like the beginning of your career and where it started for you in, in the film. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I never went to film school. I, I, um, I studied languages, uh, at uni. I was always, I mean, you know, documentary for me was like the ultimate kind of, you know, I've loved travel, you know, and I'm fascinated by people and, um, you know, you never get, and, and kind of everyone has a story to tell if you dig, uh, deep enough, you know? And, uh, so, so for me, documentary is like the perfect 
career if, if you're a kind of nosy person and you like you know you like and you get a kick out of meeting people and and um and hearing their stories and and then traveling as well and and so uh yeah i found myself making my way into documentary i mean i had a lot of ideas for like random tv shows and actually started off making kind of like reality shows and things like that which i i never really wanted to i never watched but i had I had ideas, you know, I think the first thing I made was this idea I had for a, like a, a backpacking race where, um, the, the game was, could you successfully hitchhike 360 degrees around the world? And, and oh, that wow. was just an idea that ended up becoming this big TV series. And then suddenly I found myself making like, you know, um, those kind of formatted TV shows. And I never really wanted to, it was a sort of accident and, and then it took me some time to get back to making, I guess, more serious documentaries about um, kind of issues that felt important to to explore. And then I guess I felt that, you know, the thing with documentary is that there's a limit to how much you can craft that because the most important thing is you're kind of documenting the truth and you don't want to be getting in the way of that by you know, doing fancy things with a camera or lighting it too um, uh, ornately or whatever. And so uh, I kind of gradually was, I guess, moving towards combining drama and doc. And, and, mm-hmm. and then a few, you know, when I found myself making documentaries in, you know, places like uh, I made a documentary in a maximum security prison in Mexico and then felt like oh you know now we're in here shooting this dot we could make a drama in here and so I brought actors in and we shot scenes and made this kind of weird hybrid and then found myself just graduating more and more towards drama because you can you can make more choices you know that you you rather than documentary where you're documenting truth you know you're 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 trying to capture it with with drama you're kind of trying to manufacture it and you have control over all of that and you can cast your characters and 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 i found that very seductive and so that that's kind of how i've moved over i guess you're sort of presenting your version of the truth you know i guess yeah i mean that idea of you know how close do you get to the truth with documentary and there are probably people who argue that you can get closer with fiction Mm -hmm. you know either way they're both very subjective forms of of uh of filmmaking and uh, of storytelling and you know you're always gonna you know and, and one of the things that we address in probably the imposter and this film is you know this idea of subjective truth you know that that the narrators are unreliable but also you know memory is pretty unreliable as well yeah. and we we make a virtue of that in this film so going back to the imposter because that was you know sort of a, a breakthrough um you know feature um like, is that when you went full on, okay, well, I'm, you know, my life is features now as opposed to television and stuff? I think so. You know, I think, you know, when I graduated from college, I wrote to every company, you know, I didn't know anyone in the industry. I certainly didn't have any um, connections or, um, and it's hard, you know, that is the problem probably with, you know, particularly... I think everywhere, but, you know, it tends to cater for a kind of middle class, you know, educated, uh, white sort of 
elite of people who can allow can can stay at home while they make no money as a runner in a production company yeah. and it's hard that and and so i wrote to every company with the word uh films in the title and um and the one that gave me a job was a company that did have films in the title they didn't make films they made really <laughs> trashy tv and so i ended up working in this really kind of quite like i think i worked on this show for itv called soap stars secrets and oh, wow. like i i never watched soaps <laughs> i wasn't interested in the stars and i was much less interested in their secrets so i was like oh how the yeah how do i end up doing this um and uh and then but 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 i always loved cinema yeah you know cinema is you know i love tv and it and at the moment there's a kind of golden age of tv but i mm, think yeah the cinema is this magical thing. You know, it's like the best mashup of all of the best art forms. You know, you've got music, you've got theater, you've got photography, you've got, you know, and they're all piled into this one art form, this one medium. And everyone's sat together in a dark room and, you know, just, you know, we just come from, you know, uh, introing the film here and, you know, people were already, like laughing and and starting to share this experience in the first minute of the film they're all settling down together and they're going to share that yeah and you you know you don't really have that with tv and with tv you're competing with people's short attention spans and they've got the remote control and if it's not grabbing them in the first 30 seconds or or or, or minute then they're going to turn over and in the cinema, you don't have that same pressure. You can let a story unfold in a more yeah. uh, measured, organic way, I think. Yeah, the audience is still more giving of themselves, I think. In yeah, and they've come to the cinema because they want that experience. You know, yeah. TV, it's like, okay, you better impress me or I'm, I'm out of here, you know. Yeah. Um, so it was, uh, because, uh, again, going back to your documentary roots, was um, scripting American Animals uh, like a new kind of, was that like, flexing a new muscle did you have to build that up yeah definitely i mean i'd never written anything really uh screenplay i'd never i'd never sit down to write a script and i had a very i was very insecure about it you know i i felt like there's a whole kind of mysterious language that i probably didn't know how to speak and and the grammar of that and you know i had help you know i I I know people who are screenwriters and I kind of enlisted the help of a teacher because I felt very insecure about what whether I had what I was doing and and the more of that that you know I did uh, it seemed to work and um but you never really know it wasn't until the actors showed up and we started rehearsing that I f- could relax and think oh this is going to work you know the scenes that i've written and the dialogue that i've written feels real and truthful and honest and uh so it's kind of nerve-wracking definitely it was a you know it was a new thing for me um and also you know the movie is an unconventional one you know Mm -hmm. the combination of both having the fiction but also the non-fictional elements sitting in there is something that hadn't really been tried before and so people were a bit kind of like freaked out and is this going to work and 
you know, and I would promise them, I would say, yeah, of course it's going to work. It's going to be great. But in my <laughs> heart of hearts, I was like, oh, fuck, I really, I, I really, I really <laughs> hope it's going to work, you know? So, um, you know, but, but I think those are the, those are the challenges and, you know, and if there are people listening who are kind of thinking, well, how do I get going and how, you know, I think the first, the most important thing is you just have to start, you know, that blank page is the hardest thing. And then you start writing, you know, I, I wrote the beginning of it in Word because I didn't even know that there was a, like a, a, a screenwriting program wow. called Final Draft, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, but it doesn't matter. You just get on with it. And um, but the, the, the blank page is the hardest. But as soon as you start getting getting it down, then you'll, stuff happens. And that's yeah. not to say you're not going to hit really difficult um, blocks and bumps in the road. You will, but you'll you'll figure them out, you know. But the starting is the critical, and that's the same with documentary. If you've got a story you want to tell, you start shooting on an iPhone, you know. Yeah, yeah. And talking there about you know um, seeing the actors bring the script to life and being able to relax a bit, maybe chat a bit about casting. Um, you know, it's a film called American Animals, and then you have got a lot of great American actors. Um, obviously, being an Irish festival, we have a vested interest in our man Barry. Yeah. And what made you decide to like cast an Irishman in this uh, pivotal American role? It wasn't even really. I, I, I wasn't really remotely bothered where um, they came from, as long as they were the best actors available. Um, and Barry did an audition really early on, and I looked at it. You know, it was a, like a self tape. You know, which mm-hmm. is a big thing now. Uh, and he sent it in and I looked at it and I was totally, I was completely immediately impressed because his American accent was flawless and he has this face you can't stop watching. But I was really, he, he looked so young to me. He, you know, the guys in the film are in their 20s and Barry looked at this point like 16. And and whilst I loved the audition, I couldn't see how he was going to fit with Evan Peters, who plays his kind of best friend. And, mm-hmm. you know, and Evan is uh, in his 30s, you know, he's, he's 30 or 31. And Barry, even though he's 25, he looks like, you know, yeah, a teenager. And, and, but I couldn't, I couldn't stop thinking about him because he has this very special quality. And, um, and in the end, I brought him to New York and I brought Evan from LA and that we kind of met and did a sort of chemistry test. Um, and they seemed great together and there wasn't a big, you know, I thought it's going to be like a much older brother, much younger brother. And how's that going to work? But actually they were fine. And, and Barry is, you know, Barry is a very unique talent. You don't see people that look like him on, on screen, you know, Mm -hmm. And there was a point where we could have cast the biggest names in Hollywood for this. You know, the script caught on and we could have cast the biggest names of that age group. And yeah. and when you see the film, you'll understand why I didn't want that, you know. Yeah. And um, and Barry, uh, you know, he's, he's an exceptional talent. And, you know, weirdly, you know, when we wrapped shooting, because Barry kept his accent through most of the shooting, when we wrapped it, when we finished shooting and he started talking in this incredibly broad Dublin accent that he has a lot of the people on the crew had no idea that he wasn't American you know that's how good he is yeah 
Yeah. Can you actually put your finger there on you were chatting about how you know the script caught on and you could have cast the biggest actors in Hollywood? Can you put your finger on like what it is that you know where where does that magic come from? Where does the what puts something in the zeitgeist in that way that makes uh, all of a sudden people want to you know coming out of a I mean like the imposter was uh, huge for a documentary, but it's not every uh, you know first feature documentary that gets to make such a get such a big budget and such a you know uh, unique project. I think it. It's like, it's that thing of, you know, stuff that feels genuinely new doesn't come along very often. And so, and that both freaks people out and it kind of draws people to it, especially mm-hmm. actors. You know, they're like, you know, you get, I get sent a lot of scripts now, you know, for some very big movies and they all feel like movies you've seen before or versions of them, you know. So for it, when something comes along and it's new, people are like, whoa, you know, it, it but at the same time, people are very cautious because the people who have the money are like, well, if there's no precedent for it being successful, then how do we know it's going to be right. yeah. uh, successful, you know? So, and I, but I also think it kind of, the, you know, the themes of the film plug in, you know, it is a heist movie mm-hmm. and it's fun and it's a caper and all that. And it, I think, delivers on that. But it's also thematically, it's about... I think something quite relevant to the culture, you know, about this need to, you know, people, you know, especially young people laboring under massive pressure of, am I going to leave a mark on the world? Am I going to be a somebody? Yeah. You know, the strap line on the poster is nobody wants to be ordinary. And I think that's really true now. Yeah. You know, being average is not okay anymore. It's true. But the truth is most of us are going to be average. Yeah, you know that's what average means. <laughs> yeah, the title as well, American Animals. Yeah, very evocative of you know the themes of the film. Yeah, yeah. and so I think it just caught on and um, felt resonant and timely, uh, and uh, yeah, and so so I think people had reservations about the the hybrid nature of it, and. Uh, and but I was very clear that I wasn't going to do a version that didn't have that. It mm-hmm. was going to be this kind of weird mixture. And I think you know if the audiences that have seen it so far are anything to go by, and you know it's had a very successful release in the U.S., um, you know people really get it and yeah. they love the fact that it's fresh and different, original. Yeah, for sure. Um, just by way of wrapping up, uh, I'd like to go back to you know you were talking about your love of cinema. What are some of the, you know, the touchstones for you that you always return to if you need like some inspiration or if you're just, you know, what are, what are the, the films that, uh, that moved you? I guess the, I, I, the films that feel that I always sort of gravitate back to, are, I, there was an era of filmmaking in the kind of mid to late 70s where I think really interesting things happened in America. You know, Hollywood was a different place and there were a handful of movies made that had a rawness and a kind of like almost a documentary quality and energy to them. And I I guess a couple of examples of those are Dog Day Afternoon, which was a reference for this film, which uh, if people haven't seen, you know, is really like an amazing, you know, it's Al Pacino probably doing Mm -hmm. the best work he's ever done. and, um, And, you know, The French Connection... I had the opportunity of meeting William Friedkin who made that film and you know that was a that's a really you know those are movies that for me have this 
quality about them that you know they're still thrillers but they have this almost documentary kind of realism which uh which i think is something that you know that at that time there was a you know there was a it was a kind of new wave of sorts um you know the sting is one of my you know since i was a kid was one of my favorite movies you know uh and um you know and i also you know love you know french cinema as well you know i'm not sure it's what it was Mm -hmm. at the moment it's probably going through a weird patch but um you know and i'm not like the 60s filmmakers like godard well actually or maybe even more you know like um i'm thinking probably more like even uh 80s and 90s you know louis mal and um uh you know i remember seeing jean de florette when i was a kid when I was like 10 my mum took me and that had a huge impact on me you know I'd never seen a a grown up art house foreign movie that was like a whole you know you went on a huge journey there and those kind of movies where you're not just watching you're actually a participant you're living it yeah. you're, you come out feeling like you've been through you know yeah. all sorts of emotional stuff and Fair your mum for taking a 10 year old well no i mean you know I, I i think i wanted to go and see teen wolf and she was like i'm not taking you to see that shit <laughs> you know all right well yeah. thanks a million for sharing no, with us great. Uh, bart layton thanks very much oh pleasure thanks so much and that's our show for today thanks for listening if you have any short follow-up questions for bart you'll find him on twitter at bart from raw and you can find our show on twitter at goway film the Galway Film Podcast is produced by Grisan Naman, Skillnet Training. If you liked what you just heard, leave us a review on iTunes. It will help new listeners to find us. While you're there, why not subscribe so you don't miss future episodes, of which we'll have another just next week. Until then, I'm Will Fitzgerald. Slongo